Well, this morning I want to begin a uh, teaching, and I'm not going to get uh, all the way through by any means. I'm going to give a little segment of it. I've uh, realized that many times I try to compact all the information into one sermon, and I found that I'm probably overloading and uh, going way too long trying to fit it all in, and I'm not able to actually express and do near the degree of what's needed to be able to break it down and really apply it for us, for us to be able to apply it. And so um, I'm going to be doing, for over the next couple weeks, a series on um, the New Covenant. And I know I did a teaching on this last year on the New Covenant, um, but there's something about it that God began to, has just, it's been on my heart a lot, is because every time when I, when I find myself, get a new revelation of what the New Covenant is and what Jesus has done for us, I just have this new release of hope and expectation and good things, and I see God in new light. And I want that to happen. I want us to be able to get a true revelation. I did a teaching on this last year, um, but it was a, I put, I put a whole lot of information into one sermon or two sermons there, and there was no way we could really grasp it. And so um, we're going to be on this for a little bit of time, but today I want to share with you uh, a short, it's not going to be a long one, so I'm going to give you small excerpts of it, and uh, we're, going to, we're going to just break it down and make it simple and applicable, and uh, for us to recognize what it truly is and where it comes from and what we're talking about when we talk about the new covenant. If I were to ask you the question of what is the new covenant, we've covered this, but many believers could not tell you what the new covenant is. What is the new covenant that God has made possible for us through what Jesus did? Many believers could not tell you. Could you tell me where it's found? Where can you find out about the new covenant? Many times they cannot tell you that. I'm not going to ask who knows and who doesn't know because we don't want to embarrass anybody. But I want us to know about the new covenant. Because if we don't understand and know about the new covenant, guess what we're going to be giving out? A mixture of law. And that's not what we're supposed to be under. In fact, one of the things that I came to realize in, in studying the New Covenant is that it was never meant for us. The, new, the, the law was only given to the Jews. It was never meant. There was only two types of people back then. It was you were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. And so it was given to the Jews. The law was given to the Jews. We are Gentiles, unless you are of Jewish descent, you're a Gentile. Now, we know why you've all been adopted in to the family of God, but here's the fact. We were never meant to live under the law. It was never given to us. So how in the world did we ever put ourselves into the place that we live under the law? We've been taught the Ten Commandments. We've seen the God of the Old Testament, but we've lived under a God of the Old Testament and never recognized what he did in the New Testament as far as being a new covenant that he's made way for us to walk in new things in the blessing of God. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Um, and so it's just an amazing thing because we need to know, or otherwise we're, we're living under a mixture. We know God is love, but yet we're constantly looking over our shoulder, believing that God's going to curse us. Come on. Under the law, that's what God did. Your blessing or a curse based upon your obedience. Under the new covenant, it's a God of blessing only. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Today's teaching um, that is, uh, I'm going to be sharing on is on the beauty of the new covenant. The beauty of the new covenant. I want us to see that the new covenant is a beautiful thing. What we partake of in, that, in, the, in the communion, 
when we partake of the juice, is the representation of the new covenant. If you don't know where the, the story, and we're not even going to look at it today because I'm not even going to get that far into it, but if you want to find out about the new covenant, read Hebrews chapter 8. It tells you all about the new covenant for us as believers. He says, the new covenant I make with you of blessings. And he says, the old has been done away with for us as believers. Now, that means that for us as believers, we should not be living under the law. There's a new covenant that he's made with us. So we're going to discover what that's about here in the next coming weeks. So it's going to be an exciting time. I believe you're going to be blessed. If you're blessed, maybe you won't be. I know I have been. So just come along for the ride. All right, hard crowd. Amen. Boy, that's nothing worse than laughing at your own joke and being the only one. All right. Just flatter me with it every once in a while. Like, hey, hey, Brian, find some sound effects of people laughing, you know, comedy type of thing. It just helps me feel. All right. All right. So we're going to start by reading in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. And then follow in all the way to chapter 7, verse 12. It's the last verse of chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to look at this because it talks about what brought about the thing of having new covenant is that we are under a new priest. The old priesthood, and there's, a, there's an old priesthood and a new priesthood. And so that's what we're going to look at t- uh, this morning. And so let's start reading in verse 20. It says, where the forerunner has entered for us. For who? A forerunner has entered for us. Jesus, there's our forerunner, Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, we've got to catch that because it's critical for us to understand that Jesus is from the order of what? He's our high priest and he's from the order of what? Melchizedek. Okay, so this is important because we're going to find out what does Melchizedek represent in comparison to the other. Verse 1 of chapter 7. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, (laughs) I love that, king of Salem, oh, I said he lives here, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Um, oops, I'm sorry, I read that twice. And, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. I love that. Did you know that Salem means peace? For the rest of you. I'm sure all of you guys knew that. Okay, anyway. King of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, but made like the... Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, through the, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not, I'm sorry, derived from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. Now I want you to catch that part in verse 6. And I know I chopped it up, so I apologize. We're going to go back through that here. 
But he, whose genealogy is not derived from, the, from them, received tithes from Abraham. It's critical for us to understand that normally the tithes were paid to the Levites. It was normally paid to a certain priesthood. But Abraham was not of that priesthood. Yet, it was paid, in other words, there was tithes that were paid to him. And so it's interesting because what happened here is things were out of alignment according to the law. According to the law, things were not happening the way they normally should happen. And so we're going to read on here. Blessed him who had the promise. Verse 7. Now behold, all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Eli, who receives tithes, paid tithes from through Abraham, so, he, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father who, when Melchizedek met him. Verse 11, catch this here. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priesthood should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? In other words, the Levitical priesthood was this. It was of the lineage of the Aaronic uh, priesthood. But Melchizedek was raised up from another priesthood. It was from another line that was not normally going to be a priesthood. It was not of the priestly lineage according to the order of Melchizedek, and not be called according to the order of Aaron. In other words, Jesus came from the order of what? What was the verse 20 say? Of the order of Melchizedek. But the priestly line was from the order of Aaron, the Levitical line of Aaron. And so what was happening here was that the priesthood was from a different line. Why? Anybody know? Any thought? Why was it important that he come from a different line? If he came from the Levitical line of Aaron, it would still remain under the law. But Jesus came to banish the law, and so that's why he had to come from a different line. Now catch this, verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. So because he came from a different lineage, this is critical for us to understand. Because he came from the lineage of Melchizedek, the order of Melchizedek, he then came with a new law. There's, there's a requirement that there be a new law. In other words, no longer is there under that law of Aaron, the priestly line of Aaron. There are two priesthoods that are spoken of here. The old priesthood of Aaron, which we, I will call, and I don't know if it's even proper, the Aaronic priesthood. And then the new priesthood of Melchizedek, the Melchizedek priesthood. Under the priesthood of Aaron, God has a part and man has a part. Under the Aaronic priesthood is God has a part and man has a part. In other words, it was you do, you obey, and God will bless. You disobey, and you're under a curse. Is what the law was given under. And so there was something that was seen here is we had a part and God had a part. A good example of this is the scripture in 2 Chronicles. Um, I just 
pulled this scripture as an example. We've used this scripture. In fact, I've used this scripture many times. But I want to explain, uh, explain something, that this scripture is still under the law. And it's a sad scripture. Uh, it's a great scripture because many times we use it as a promise. But it says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. So there's your part. And seek my face. There's your part. And turn from their wicked ways. There's your part. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. That's his part. In other words, there's two parts to the equation. There's your part and God's part. What he does is based upon you. That's under the ironic priesthood. Everybody get the picture? Under the Melchizedek priesthood, God has a part. And you have been taken out. If you read Hebrews chapter 8, it talks about how no longer it's as is, is the new covenant as the old covenant, where it was based upon what you do. In other words, God could only bless if you were obedient and perfect. Thank God that's not how we live today. Are you, do you understand? Do you get the picture here? None of us are perfect, right? Raise your hand if you're perfect. Zach, put your hand down. Joking. <laughs> I was facing the other way. That's why I threw him under the bus. No, I'm joking. But the, the fact of the matter is none of us are perfect. And so if we based it upon that, every single one of us, when we would go through a daily basis, every last one of us, if we live based upon the Aaronic uh, the priesthood, we go through day by day going, God, I need this. We all have needs daily, right? Come on. Daily we have needs. But how do we go to a God in, when we have needs, whenever we know we fall short and it's based upon us, whether he blesses? Whether he blesses or gives us favor or we, in what we do, how can we ask or even believe for that? How can we have a hope for that if we still believe we're under the ironic priesthood where it's based upon us being perfect to get that? Make sense? I believe that's why we have people in the church who are dealing with depression and all kinds of things that are having to be medicated because we don't understand what the new covenant has done for us. We're still trying to live under the old covenant. And it's critical for us to understand because we have a hope. When you get a grasp of the new covenant, you will get up daily and you'll have this positive expectation and a hope that you've never had before. Because you understand you don't live under a God who's only going to bless you if you can be perfect. You're going to understand that you live under a God who wants to bless you, and it's only blessing, and it's not based upon you. It's only based upon him. That's the order. Under the order of Melchizedek priesthood, God has a part, period. Period. It's not based upon you. Hebrews, an example of this is Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. It says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. He says, I will be. Now, I don't know if you can see this verse or not, but can you find anything in there that's your responsibility? There's no contingencies. There's no part that you have to play in that. And that's a promise. And that, that verse right there cannot fit under the Arabic priesthood. That verse cannot fit if you're trying to live under the law. Because it has no part for you to play. For God to bless you. And to do, be merciful to our unrighteousness. It doesn't say if you're perfect. It doesn't say anything about that. It's talking about what he will do. It's his part, not our part. And that's what the new covenant is. Man's only part, and I want to clarify this very carefully, because as soon as we put a part on it, then we think it's now it can be law. Okay? Our only part is to have a heart that is grateful, 
a heart that is thankful, a heart of thanksgiving. We give an offering, and that's what uh, Abraham did. When he came out of what, when we read this story just a second ago, and I know I apologize because I chopped it up really bad. It's sort of a hard story to read. But he just came out of a war that he went into, the War of the Kings. And he had won a war, won a battle there. And so what had happened is he'd come out, and what he'd done is he paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Why? Was it law? No. In fact, he wasn't even supposed to pay it to the line of Melchizedek. So why did he do it? It was a representation of a heart of thanksgiving. It was a representation of a heart of thanksgiving. Under the Aaron, Aaron, let me try to get this right. Under the priesthood of Aaron, how about that? Under the priesthood of Aaron, men would do something and God would respond to man. Under the Melchizedek priesthood, it's all God's part, and our response is that we give a thanksgiving offering. We give thanks. We have a heart of gratitude to God. When we give a tithe, it's not because we need to. It's not because we have to. It's not because it's the law. But we do it out of a heart of thanksgiving because of what he has done for us. Everything we do flows out of as a result of, not because we have to. If you're doing it for the purpose that you have to, you're living under the law. If you tithe because you have to, you're under the law. If you tithe because you're grateful because of the goodness of God and what the new covenant is and the blessings that he stands, that he gives to us and all the good things and all the goodness of who he is and his love. And over and over we sang today about God being good. If you truly get a revelation of that, that's where we give from. That is where we give from. And it's critical for us to understand that. The first time Abraham met Melchizedek, and I want you to see this, Melchizedek showed up with bread and wine. He showed up with bread and wine, which was the first example of communion under the priesthood of Melchizedek. And the first words that he spoke to Abraham was a blessing. He said, blessed, blessed. Look at this. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, Genesis 14, verse 18 through 20. And this is right after he come out of this, had come out of this battle and he won. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and was the first and was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he gave him a tithe of all. I love that picture because the first thing that he did is he brought what was representative of communion to the table. And the second thing he did is he blessed him. He spoke a blessing over him. That's all he brought. That's all he brought. Under the priesthood of Melchizedek, there was no curse. There was only blessings. Under the Aaronic priesthood, the blessings or the curse would be there based upon your performance. A blessing if you obey and a curse if you did not obey. Under the priesthood of Melchizedek, no curse, only blessing. It's critical for us to understand this. Under the priesthood of Melchizedek, and what does Jesus come from? The order of? Melchizedek. Our high priest is from the order of Melchizedek. And this was critical for us to understand because that's why God, Jesus, stands today under that order. It's critical that we understand that he comes from that order because otherwise it doesn't fit. He's blessing. He only has blessing for us. It's only blessings for us. 
Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, it says, uh, I'm going to look at this again. It says, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Our high priest, Jesus, he's come after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron, where God had a part and you have a part. In other words, the order of Aaron was that God has a part and you have a part. But he did not come from the order of Aaron. He came from the order of the priesthood of Melchizedek. Jesus was made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, where there is no curse. It's only blessing, blessing, blessing. Come on. Say blessing, blessing, blessing. Nothing else. Nothing else. It's just blessings. And that's what Jesus has for us. Look at Abraham's response to the blessing of Melchizedek. I want you to see this in Genesis 14, verses 19 through 20. It says, And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he, Abraham, gave him a tithe of all. Under this priesthood, of Melchizedek, there is only a thanksgiving response. That is the only response that we have. That is the only part that we have, is to have a heart of thanksgiving, to give a thanksgiving um, response to God. When the tithe was given, it was a thanksgiving response. Tithe today is a thanksgiving response from us. Your tithes should be seen as a thanksgiving, a gratitude, and honor of Jesus, our most high priest. And giving thanks to him for this new covenant that he's given us. That is what it's all about. That's what it's about. When we give, anything we have to give... It is, a, it, is a, it is a heart of gratitude to God for what he has done for us. So what, a, what a, you know, many times I would love to ask you, I believe it's important that we understand the importance of how important it is for you, or I guess I'll, I'll answer the question, how important it is for you as parents to teach your children to say thank you? I'm teaching my children to say thank you after something is given. Many of you will catch it. I don't know if I'm teaching it very well because I seem to have to tell them every time. But when, I, when somebody gives them something, I say, and what do you say? And what do you say? And what do you say? I could say that probably, I probably say it 20 times a day. And what do you say? Thank you. And what do you say? Thank you. Right? Over and over. And we're teaching our children. Now, it's interesting because every time when something great happens, it would be interesting if we could remind ourselves or look at somebody and say, and what do you say? Thank you, God. Come on. An attitude of gratitude for what he is doing, for what he has done. A thankful heart. And let me tell you something. It's interesting because that does not come natural. Our flesh will not just naturally be grateful. In fact, what most of the times happens is we, don't even, we look over the things that God has given us and we only see the negative. Most of the time we see the negative and we, we overlook the positive things that God has done. Well, I just don't have this and it's a hot day and my AC can't keep up. And we forget about the fact that all the things that God is doing that is incredible that he moves. Because we can always find something to be negative about and still not have but an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving is one that is thankful and thanks God for even the small things 
along with the great things. And a realization of that it comes from God, the great things that happen. It's critical that we remind ourselves. Under the new covenant, it's blessings, blessings, blessings. So my response is, thank you, thank you, thank you. Over and over. If his blessings keep flowing, my thanksgiving keeps coming. Do you understand? You want to play that song? Do you have that? Go for it. I had a song that I love. Actually, this song irritated me when it first came out. But I thought it was very fitting. It was the first one that came to my mind immediately when I heard this, when I had this message. Sing along if you want. Favorite part. 37 times in this song it says thank you. Nobody knew that, right? Can you thank him? I wanted to thank you. Yeah, thank you. Just thank you. I wanted to thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm alive. I'm on fire. And my spirit burns with desire. You set me alive. I wanted 
I love that song because it brings out the importance of us thanking him. When that, first, when that song first came out, I had the fun of uh, sitting with my kids and counting how many times it says thank you in that song. 30, I think 37 or 38 times. 35 times. <laughs> He's counting. <laughs> okay. 36 Eli counted. So, All right. So somewhere in there. But the idea here is that, you know what? It's an incredible thing to say thank you to God. It's an attitude that we can have. And I love how even in that song, you know, it sounds repetitious. But what a greater thing to say. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hebrews chapter 7, you know, one of the things that it brings out here in this verse, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, it says, Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. In other words, they received the law under what? The Levitical priesthood, which was the ironic priesthood. In other words, so if perfection were found through the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Now, it's interesting because that word perfection, I want you to look at that. It says, therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, immediately when most people think of perfection, they think of sinlessness, Right? Let me tell you, that, that verse there, I immediately, that was my first thought. But that's not what that represents there. Under the Aaronic priesthood, they received the law. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the what? Knowledge of sin. So in other words, what, is, what does the law do? It brings sin to the surface, as we've seen in the scriptures. It brings the knowledge of the law. In other words, no flesh will be justified through the law. So as a result of the law, you're going to be sin conscious. It's critical for us to understand. If we try to remain, or if we still have that mixture of trying to live under the law... So yet we, we try to understand grace, but yet we try to still live under the, we understand some of the new covenant, but we still go back to reverting back to the law and the, the ironic covenant. Then what we will experience is a misery. We will constantly be sin conscious and having guilt and condemnation. Because here's the deal. The enemy is the accuser at law. He is the accuser of the brethren. How does he accuse you? He tells you, hey, Tom, you call yourself a Christian? But what about that? And what about this? And what about this? What does he use against us? He throws the law. According to the law, you failed. You come up short. You come up short. I come up short. Over and over. And so the enemy comes at us to accuse us. And that's his, that's his whole assignment. And immediately when he accuses us, what's the first thing that happens? We're condemned. It brings condemnation because immediately if I believe that, well, I'm, I'm believing God for good things today, but then the enemy comes at me and throws, well, you did this, you had that thought, you had this thought, you had that thought. Immediately what happens is you go, well, I'm disqualified for the blessing. And then I start taking on condemnation because, well, if God can't, then I have this condemnation I begin to carry because, and so guilt and condemnation all begin to put upon us when we try to live under the law. We have a sin consciousness, and we carry guilt and condemnation. Under the law, it was, if, if under the law it was good enough, 
and able to bring perfection, then why the need for another priesthood? It couldn't. That's why, that's why there was a need for another priesthood, because it could not bring perfection. Verse 11, I want you to see this. That word perfection there is not a sinless perfection. So what perfection was, this, was he speaking of here? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 9, and I want you to read this with me. Um, and it's a little bit hard to, to read, but I want you to get the just of the ending part of it here. It says, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the what? Conscience. So when it was talking about perfection there, it was talking about a perfection in our conscience. How does a perfection in our conscience look? Think about it for a moment. Under the law, are we ever have a, do we ever have a clear conscience? No, because we're always found guilty. So a perfection in our conscience is a consciousness, a con, yeah, consciousness of what Jesus has done and the blood of Jesus rather than the law. So what happens is we got to be more conscious of what Jesus has done rather than the law. If we have a sin consciousness or a law consciousness, we will be more consumed with the law than we are of what Jesus has done for us. And many of us, can I just say, many of us, you know, the lady that walks down the street or walks into the store and looks like she just stuck to, uh, suck on a, a great big sour prune or had a lemon in her mouth and just, the, you know, and you know she just came from church. Come on. And they are so unhappy and have absolutely nothing that you would want them to rub off on you or want to know anything that they have to offer. Come on. We've all been around that type of person. They're grumpy. They're not happy. They look like they're, 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 you get what I'm saying? I mean, they're just miserable is the best way to describe it. Can I tell you that if we as believers walk around with that, that's probably because we're still trying to live under the law which consumes us with sin, consumes us with our shortcomings. We carry guilt, condemnation, which we know all those bring results of all kinds of physical things. Guilt and condemnation brings all kinds of worry, stress. All those carry all kinds of other physical things. The repercussions of being under the law is an enormous amount of weight, weightiness up on our lives, stress, all those things. But when we're conscious of Jesus... We immediately see the fullness of what he has done for us. We no longer carry a consciousness of sin, but a consciousness of what he has done for us. Not saying that we're not grateful. Remember, we're going back to this. It doesn't mean that we just overlook and, oh, it's no big deal. No, we are grateful and we say thank you every time we realize we come up short. But we don't just ponder on it. We don't look upon it. We say thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your blood. Perfection in regard to your conscience. Under the law, you will not and cannot obtain a perfection, a perfect conscience. A perfect conscience is a conscience that is not sin conscious. Not conscious, but conscious of a greater high priest, Jesus. It's being, being more conscious of what Jesus has done than your shortcoming, than with the area where you fall short or the sin in your life. The more, how many of you realize that the more you 
meditate or think about sin, the more it will be come to life in your life. The scripture says it brings the sin to life. It brings it to life in our lives. The only way your conscience can be perfect is through the blood of Jesus. Sin consciousness is an evil conscience. Sin consciousness is an evil conscience. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, it says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil conscience, sprinkled from, sorry, not with, Sprinkled from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So we're having our, our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. An evil conscience is what? A conscience consumed with sin. In other words, so here's the deal. He says he's, when our hearts have been washed, we'll no longer be consumed with sin. Sprinkled from the Sprinkled from an evil conscience, a conscience consumed with sin. Sin consciousness is an evil conscience. It stays with you and it produces condemnation. And condemnation disqualifies us from receiving what God, what Jesus has already achieved for us as believers. That is what it does. So why is sin consciousness such a big deal? Why is sin consciousness why does it matter if we, if we realize that, oh, well, I've sinned here and I've sinned there and I've sinned here and I've sinned there and we're focusing on trying not to sin here and not, not having this attitude or not having that attitude and all this. Do you understand? We become consumed with it. Become consumed with it. Every time you come to God for something, sin consciousness is what holds us back. Every time you come to God for something or try to believe God for something, the goodness of God, the favor of God, every time you come to God and need a healing, every time you come to God and need a financial breakthrough, every time you come to God and are needing of anything. And we just got done talking about up here, asking, you know, in the praise and worship, that word that came forth about the goodness of God and that he's wanting us to ask. God's not mad at us. Come on. God's not mad at us. But every time we come, if we have a sin consciousness, every time we come to God, what, what happens? What happens? I'd like for everybody to close your eyes for a moment and give, do an example here real quick. Everybody close your eyes. No, I'm not going to shoot you with water, water balloons or squirt gun or anything like that. Close your eyes, and I want you to think of one thing, just something, anything that you're in need of, that you have a need of right now. It could be physical. It could be relational, emotional, financial. I want you to think about that need. Everybody got something? Anybody not ready? All right, so everybody here has something in your mind. Now, I want you to begin to ask God, God, would you please move in that situation? I want you to move in that situation. Bring healing. Provide. Move whatever needs to be moved move in that situation. Now, I want you to open your eyes because what I found is that if we still have law that we're trying to live under or we have that degree of sin consciousness, what immediately came to your mind was, but I haven't been in the Word or I haven't prayed enough or I haven't, come on, you got your list or I haven't been to church or I haven't, I haven't done anything, I haven't, this or I haven't that. Come on. 
How many times does that happen for you whenever you go to God, you find yourself immediately thinking of something that disqualifies you? Is there anything that I can find that disqualifies why God would not move in my situation? Come on. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. But I've been there. And I'm sure some of you have too, that you've experienced that where you find, you look, and you're looking for areas or reasons to disqualify what God is going to do in your situation. And that is a sin consciousness, looking for reasons why God will not move. Many of you, you'll find reasons why God, why it disqualifies God from moving in your situation. And that is a sin consciousness. Do you know that you're righteous today before God? You are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Us as believers, we are righteous today. The thing that holds you back is a sin consciousness because you have not yet received that what the blood has cleansed you of all your sins. You have not yet received that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you of all your sins. Yeah, we can believe that God has forgiven us. Many times we get saved and we can believe that God has forgiven us of all of our past. But many times it's those things that we continually go over the over and over and over on this cycle. How many of you guys have the cycle that it seems like there's this one thing that still continues to go around? Maybe it's, you know, you get angry when you're driving, or maybe it's you yell at your children, or those things that you go, you go, oh, again, God, I'm sorry. You know what? He's already forgiven you, but it's just like that thing that you continue over and over, and it's always there, that cycle. The thing, thank you for your blood. And it's hard to move past those things that are repetitious, where we come up short. It's hard to get past those. But I'm telling you, the more that we focus upon Jesus and what he has done for us, that is what sets us free. It's not sin consciousness that sets us free. It is Jesus that sets us free. So the more that I can continue to meditate on, I thank you that I am righteous today. In the middle of your sin, in the middle of you getting angry on the road, in the middle of you yelling at your children, if it comes to your mind at that point in time, remind yourself that I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's awfully crazy of you to think of doing that at that moment. You know what? What better thing can you meditate upon? Your shortcoming? Meditate upon the fact that you failed. Meditate upon the fact that you, you now fall short with God. No, absolutely not. You see what I'm saying? If we focus upon that, it disqualifies us from anything that God can do and moving in our situation. If I focus upon my sin and how it, it disqualifies me, how can God move it changing me? But if I focus upon Jesus changing me, and he's the one who's going to change me, He's the one who's going to bring the performance, the change in my life. Then I can meditate upon that. And I, then I'm not, I'm not condemned. I'm not guilt. I'm not guilt-ridden. I'm not all this stuff that holds us back. But I can stand there and go, thank you, Jesus. And I have a positive expectation that he is changing that even in the midst of that situation. He is changing it in my life. He's going to be the one that changes it. More we meditate upon that, the more change happens the more change happens, the more things happen. The thing that holds us back is sin consciousness because we have not received yet what Jesus has cleansed you of all your sins, that Jesus cleansed us. Um, Hebrews 1, verse 3, says, Who being in the brightness of his glory and express image of his, of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he had by himself 
purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of, of the majesty on high. He has purged our sins, purged us. If there is still con uh, consciousness of sin, we haven't fully received what the blood has done for us. Meditate more upon the blood. Continue to meditate upon what the blood has done, not upon your shortcoming. The key to get victory in our lives as Christians is that we have to receive what Jesus has done for us in this new covenant. Every time, we, every time sin consciousness or condemnation comes over you, remind yourself and the enemy who is condemning you. Remind yourself and remind the enemy who is condemning you. In other words, you need to be reminded that it's not God who's condemning you. It's the enemy that's condemning you. And so we don't need to receive it. We need to remind him, remind ourselves and remind him that you are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. My sins have been purged. Come on. You need to remind yourself that my sins have been purged through the blood of Jesus. That I'm righteous. No longer is it, is, is, is it the old there, but I'm a what? New creation. So in other words, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In other words, we have been purged of that sin. We've been purged, and we are clean. We are righteous today. So we need to remind ourselves. We need to remind the enemy. My sins have been purged. God has been merciful to my sins. Jesus is my high priest from the order of Melchizedek, and he's not counting my sins against me. Do you realize that today? Think about it for a moment. God's not sitting there counting your sins. He's not counting your sins against you. The blood of Jesus has covered us. Perfection in our conscience is looking to Jesus instead of that sin or that shortcoming in your life. I want you to repeat this. Because of the blood of Jesus, Jesus is no, sin has no longer, I'm sorry. Because of the blood of Jesus, sin is no longer an issue in my life. Come on, say, because of the blood of Jesus, sin is no longer an issue in my life. Do you believe that? Come on, come on. Whatever that is, just receive that, that deliverance in Jesus' name. Whatever it is, I don't care if it's even addictive behavior, if it's addiction, whatever it is, sin is no longer an issue in my life because of the blood of Jesus. When you sin or fall short, you miss the mark. That's what it means. Hamartia, to miss the mark. Declare, I am the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Don't allow that sin or missing the mark to stop you from maintaining what Jesus has done in your conscience. Because what has he done in our conscience? Perfection. He has perfected our conscience. It's clean. It's white clean of sin, and we're not supposed to be conscious of that sin. So as soon as the enemy comes at us, we need to be reminded that he has already washed our conscience clean. It's perfection. Jesus has paid the price for all my sins. The debt for my sin has already been paid. It's critical for us to understand that. It has already been paid. This is the beauty of the new covenant. Because if it was not from the order of Melchizedek, we would not have this hope. To be able to declare this over ourselves or even to walk with a clear conscience a clear mind, a clear understanding of where we stand. That is the hope and the beauty 
of the new covenant that Jesus comes from the order of Melchizedek and not from the order, the Levitical order of Aaron. This is why it's understand. This is why it's critically important. That's all I have for you today. Thank God because it's time. And so, you know what? I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you, you get allow that to sink in. This week, as the enemy comes at you and begins to condemn you, begins to point his finger at you and begins to remind you of the areas where you fall short, remind him that you are the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ and remind him of where your conscience has been, has been purged and you have a clear conscience. You're not sin conscious. You are God conscious. You're Jesus conscious. And the blood of Jesus covers you. Amen? Let's stand.